Tonight I wanted to talk about intention. Intention is very central to Buddhist practice. Um, It's also known as volition or motivation or will. And it's central, it's very important in Buddhist practice because intention leads to action and action leads to karma. Karma is also an important concept in Buddhist practice. So that's why I asked you at the beginning of the sitting to think about, to consider what is your intention for coming to practice tonight? What is your intention perhaps for coming to practice in the first place and then specifically for coming tonight? It's okay. <laughs> uh, often we think of intention as uh, thought or in words, but it isn't always. It can be an urge or um, a sense, uh, an impulse to do something. When we're sitting quietly meditating, then most often we can see the intention. Um, when we want to move, there's an impulse to move. That impulse, that intention to move. And that's a good place to begin looking at our intention. So there's a discomfort or there's an itch or something, and the impulse is to move. Then we can look. What is that intention? What is that impulse? And if we see it, then we have choice. If we don't see it, then we may automatically move. But if we can begin to look for the intention and see that, then we have a choice. We may decide to move, that may be the wisest thing, or we may not. We may decide at that particular time, no, my intention is to be with this discomfort. So I'm not going to move right now. Gill says in in his book, he has a chapter on intention, and he says, Intentions are present even in such seemingly minute and usually unnoticed decisions as where to direct our attention or which thoughts to pursue. And I think that's very important because which thoughts to pursue or where we want to put our attention can be very, very important. I discovered this in my own life. Um, it took me a long time, unfortunately, to discover it, but I did finally see that I was choosing to follow, to believe very, very negative thoughts. And then eventually I saw the consequence of that which was quite painful and very, very uncomfortable. And when finally I saw that clearly, that I didn't have to follow those thoughts, it was an old habit, an old pattern, and I could choose not to, what a relief and what freedom. So even though it might be very subtle or seemingly unnoticeable, 
can be very important to discover that subtle intention. I have a friend that reminds me from time to time that energy follows attention. So where we put our attention, that's where the energy will go. So then it becomes very important where are we going to put our attention, knowing that that's where our energy will go. So we can see, is it our intention to be mindful, to see things really clearly, or not? And if so, what does that mean? In this book, Seeking the Heart of Wisdom, which is written by Joseph Goldstein and Jack Kornfield, Joseph Goldstein says, Observing intention. To understand karma, it is essential to see how the motivation or intention preceding an action determines the future karmic result of that action. Thus, if an act is motivated by true kindness, it will necessarily bring a positive result. And if an act is motivated by aggression, or greed, it will eventually bring an unpleasant result. Because karmic results do not always bear fruit immediately, it is sometimes difficult to observe this process. And I think that too is very important to remember, that uh, the Buddha has said karma is so complicated, there's so many factors involved, that very often it's hard to see the cause and effect relationship. But there is, if we pay attention, a result to our actions. And even if that result is down the road somewhere, which it might be, it might be a while before the result is noticeable, it behooves us to pay attention to our intention, knowing that it will have an effect. In fact, in Buddhist practice, intention is considered more important than what we actually do. That was very astounding to me, very confusing to me when I first came to practice because I had always been of the belief that what you did was important. It didn't matter what the intention was. What you did was important. I had heard so often that phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And so it took me a little while to understand um, this seemingly backwards idea that intention, what we intend to do, is really what's important. So say we intend, when we sit down tonight, we intended to be mindful for 30 minutes. Unfortunately, we probably weren't. We may have been mindful 5 or 25, but probably not the full 30 minutes. In that case, 
then our intention to be mindful is what's important and not the fact that we weren't successful um, the entire time, the full 30 minutes. Our intention may be to be kind and loving and yet something else may get in the way, an old pattern or uh, a really strong event and we find ourselves not being as loving or kind as we intended. That's less important than the fact that we set the intention. Because if we set the intention and we keep setting the intention, then over time we will become loving and kind. So that's why the intention is actually more important than the act. Now, that doesn't mean then that we take intention lightly, or that means, though we can do anything we want to, and it really doesn't matter, and, you know. Um, that's, I think, the way that, that the road to hell is paved with good intentions, when they're not very serious, or they're not taken very seriously. But when we seriously intend, but then because we're not perfect, we don't totally follow through, then it's the intention that has the power not the actual act. So another <clears throat> reading from Joseph. This is about the results. Non-killing results in long life. The result of taking the lives of other beings is that in the future, one's own life will be shortened. Why is it that some people are healthy and others sickly. Non-harming is the karmic force for health, while hurtful actions create the condition for disease. Anger and hatred are the conditions for ugliness, and loving care, gentleness, and kind speech are the conditions for beauty. When someone is very angry, we can see what anger does to his or her expression. The energy that we see clearly manifesting in that moment has a continuing force and power. Precious or previous actions motivated by generosity are the karmic conditions for wealth, and those made by, motivated by greed create the conditions for poverty. Why are some people wise and others dull? The mind that inquires, investigates, and explores conditions wisdom. The minds of those not interested in understanding and insight become dull. So on Tuesday evening, I went, another woman and I went up to San Quentin to bear silent witness at the execution of Donald Beardsley. And as I read this piece from Joseph um, about the results of harming or killing, I think of that, and we thought of it that evening, standing outside the gates. What are the karmic implications for the taking of a human life and what is the intention what is the intention 
by the state, by the people of the state, by those that carry out the act, um, by those that advocate for the death penalty, specifically for Donald Beardsley, for the governor who refused clemency in this case. What is the intention? After it was announced that um, Donald Beardsley was pronounced dead at 1225, somebody said, so do you all feel safer now? And of course, at that moment, we did not. So what, what is the intention? Is the intention to create more safety? Or is the intention retribution, punishment, getting back? And if so, is that helpful? Is that useful? That's what's to be considered. Scott Herhold, who uh, writes a column in the Mercury News today, was talking about the execution and said, if we were sincere about making the death penalty a deterrent, we might cap the appeals process at two years, impose death in any case of first-degree murder, and put it on television for everyone. We lack the guts for that. So instead, we warehouse 640 inmates on death row and execute one every few years by whim or lack or or luck or exhaustion of the lawyers. Just what purpose are we serving? And I think when he says just what purpose, we could say, What is our intent? What is our intent in taking this life? So we can look at different levels of motivation. There are sort of superficial superficial intentions. You know, small intentions or intentions that aren't done with too much thought or too much depth. And then there are intentions that uh, are a little bit deeper, perhaps. And then there's our deepest heart's intention. Sometimes we get stuck in the superficial intentions. And what I mean by that, it's, it's a little bit like... In the 80s, there was a book um, that was quite useful called How to Get Control of Your Time in Your Life. And he talked about the ABC things in our life, goals perhaps. And he talked about the A things as being those superficial things, um, the B things, and then the C things being the really important goals of our lives. What is it that we really want out of our lives? And when we get clear about those, then the B things are the things that support those goals. The A things, the superficial things, are maintenance, the things that we have to do every day to maintain our lives. 
you know, take care of our bodies and clean the house and take care of the car and etc. And what can happen is that we can get caught or we can get trapped in those A things because we all know they're unending, right? There's always more dishes. There's always uh, more maintenance for the house, the car, ourselves, whatever. And if we if we don't become aware of what our deeper goals or intentions are, then we can spend way too much time in the superficial and never get to the deeper intention or never get to the things that support our deeper intention. So I'd like to ask you for a moment to close your eyes and turn inward and consider what are is are the superficial intentions that you have <coughs> what are the intentions maybe that come quickly to your mind the first things that come then look a little deeper and see what is a little deeper intention what comes up when you look just a little more closely even deeper and see if you can determine what is your deepest intention what is your heart's deepest desire for your life Don't be concerned if your deepest heart desire, your deepest intention didn't come up right away. If you're not used to looking at intentions, not used to exploring that deeply, then, you know, in a two or three minute exercise, it may not come up. But you can think about it during the week. Maybe... um, set an intention at a time that you're meditating to allow the deepest intention to arise. And then you can begin to watch and see if your actions support your deepest intention or intentions. And if not, perhaps there are some things you want to drop or some things you want to change so that more and more you begin to align your life with your deepest heart's intention and the superficial things 
become less important. I've discovered this over my years of practice. Some of those superficial things that used to be so important to me, like a spick and span house, have just lost their meaning. I now like that saying, you know, my house is clean enough to be healthy, but dirty enough to be happy. It's not a very high priority for me anymore. When it gets too bad, then, you know, it jumps up there. But most of the time, it's not very high. There are too many other things that are far more important. So my life has changed considerably over these years of practice. There's also something, uh, a phenomenon, I think, having to do with intention called counter-intention. And a counter-intention is when you may have an intention to do something, but underneath there may be a deeper intention or another intention. Um, I like to swim at 7 o'clock in the morning, and mostly I wake up about 6, few minutes after six, which is fine, then I can have some tea before I go swim. But every once in a while, I don't wake up until seven or close to it, and it's too late. And then I look, you know, how come I didn't wake up? Because I do so regularly. And quite often, there's a counter intention to get more rest. I was really tired. And it was pretty subtle. I, might, I wasn't consciously aware of it. I was consciously aware of wanting to swim. But there was a deeper intention to take care of myself and get more rest. So looking for that counter-intention. Um, it might be healthy. It might not. It might not be a healthy counter-intention. Then that's important to see because... If we're aware of our intentions, then we have choice. If we're not, then we're don't. we don't. Several years ago, I had a therapist that used to say, you set the intention and then deal with what comes up. And I thought that was very, very useful. Because very often, we set an intention, but we're not immediately able to do it. Somebody may set the intention to stop smoking, but then all kinds of considerations or um, hindrances come up. So, so often people let those things deter them, and then they don't stop smoking or whatever it is they're going to do. But if we can understand this idea of setting the intention and then dealing with what comes up, we keep that intention, you know, in, in our sight, but there may be many things along the way before we get to that intention. So that makes me think of intention and New Year's resolutions. And I see intention in Buddhist practice as being different from how New Year's resolutions are often seen or dealt with. The difference being, I think, with intention, we recognize its importance and its value, but we also recognize that 
there are blocks, there are hindrances, there are other things that happen that may keep us from our intention. We could say, you know, that we're not perfect and therefore we don't always follow through with our intention. That's a given, that's understood. So when we don't, when we aren't able to carry through, then we recognize that and reset the intention or deal with whatever it is that is blocking us, that's in front of us. It seems to me, I've never been a big New Year's resolution maker, but it seems to me that those that do don't have that understanding or don't take that into the equation that it may not happen just as they intend. And often there's a lot of shame or embarrassment or feeling bad about not being able to carry through with something. And then unfortunately, that can lead to dishonesty. It can be very hard to, um, if you feel really bad about yourself or think it's terrible that you don't follow through, then there can be um, this subtle tendency to not be honest with yourself or not be honest with others. It seems to me that the Buddhist understanding of setting the intention, but understanding that we may not follow through and that that's just how it is, then we'll just set the intention again, um, helps us to be honest with ourselves and others. There's no need to cover. There's nothing to cover. There's no shame in, in not always being able to follow through. So I think that's a significant difference and something to keep in mind. We're not terrible if we don't follow through with our intention. We're human. And then we set the intention again. Um, my former therapist also told me the story of the Sufi master who went out one day and as he was closing the door said, I'm going to be mindful all day today. And then he comes home in the evening and turns the handle of the door and says, Oh, that's right. I was going to be mindful today. <laughs> I like that story because here a master you know, <laughs> intends to be mindful and then, of course, realizes at the end of the day he hasn't been mindful all day. Thich Nhat Hanh says that we all want to be happy, but we have sometimes misguided ideas about what will take us there. So a brief story from his book. The Buddha presented another drastic image. Two strong men are dragging a third man along in order to throw him into a fire pit. He cannot resist, and finally they throw him into the glowing embers. These strong men, the Buddha said, are our own volition, intention. We don't want to suffer, but our deep-seated habit energies drag us into the fire of suffering. The Buddha advised us to look deeply into the nature of our volition, to see whether it is pushing us in the direction of liberation, peace, and compassion, or in the direction of suffering and unhappiness. We need to be able to see the kinds of 
intention food that we are consuming. I like that phrase, intention food. What are we taking in in the way of intention that feeds our life? This morning, I listened to the inaugural speech, as perhaps many of you did. And I heard the commentators afterwards saying it was very lofty, very high ideals, something that might be difficult to live up to. Freedom, security, equality for all, probably something that all of us would aspire to, all of us would agree with. And then I think as a country we have to look at how do we follow that intention? How do we follow those lofty goals? Do our intentions support that, those lofty goals? Or do we possibly create harm and suffering, inequality, maybe injustice along the way? Our Buddhist practice asks us, requires of us, that we look at our intention every step of the way. Not just that we have a lofty ideal or a lofty intention, and then, you know, how we get there doesn't matter. It matters every single step. Like Thich Nhat Hanh wrote a book called Peace is Every Step. It's important every step we take, the intention, every step along the way. Martin Luther King and Gandhi are two examples of men who had the same lofty ideals of freedom and security and equality for all of their people. But they also had the intention of not harming, of nonviolence. And they refused, both of them, to compromise those ideals. They were unwilling to compromise the intention of non-harming in order to get to that freedom. So for them, every single step was important. The intention at every level was important on the path to freedom. Freedom was the ultimate goal, the ultimate intention. But every step was just as important. In other words, the the end didn't justify the means. The means were just as important. So I know that there were people demonstrating in D.C. and in San Francisco and San Jose today because although they want the same lofty ideals, they do not want the violence that seems to be the means to the end. And they are unwilling to compromise that intention. It reminds me of in the 80s, I was involved in Beyond War, which maybe you've heard of. And it was important for us in that movement to say war is obsolete. There is no 
no reason, no possibility for war. Period. Then we would discover the means to preventing war. But as long as we held the door open, you know, that there was a possibility, then of course something would happen that would lead us to war. It's like when I was teaching parenting classes, I would say to parents, you know, you have to shut the door to hitting, to spanking. You have to just say no. Because if you don't, your child will always push you to the point of spanking. You'll, you'll get frustrated. If you don't have that absolute intention that I will not hit my child, I can guarantee you, your child will push you to do it. So you have to just close the door. You have to say, I will not. Then, other ways of disciplining, other ways of handling issues with your children will arise. But they won't necessarily arise if you don't shut that door, because that's always an option. You hold that. So, as I said, our practice asks us to be mindful, to pay attention to our intention every step, every step along the way, and to ask ourselves over and over, is this action supporting my intention? Is this that I'm about to do going to support my deepest heart desire, my deepest intention? And then at that point, we can choose. We may still go ahead with something, but we may not. We have the choice. We may have decided, I'm not going to move for the next 10 minutes. And then the urge comes up, the impulse comes up to move. And at that point we have the choice. Am I going to move or not? We may um, decide to eat more healthily. And then an ice cream cone sounds awfully good. And then we have if we see our intention, if we're aware of our intention, we have the choice. Does eating this ice cream cone support my intention or not? And I think it's important to notice that there's no right or one answer. Because sometimes we might choose to eat the ice cream anyway. There may be another intention. While we may have the intention to eat healthily, there may be another intention to lighten up, to loosen up, to not be so rigid, to enjoy life. You know, Irma Bombeck said, um, you know, when I grow older, or if I had my life to live over, I would eat more ice cream. <laughs> so maybe there's an intention to lighten up. And eating that ice cream at that particular moment supports that intention, and that's what's important. Or maybe not. Maybe at that moment, supporting the intention of eating more healthily is what's important, and that's the choice that we make. 
Gil has often talked about um, the man with the knife. A man with a knife can have a very noble intention or a very destructive intention, depending. It can be a surgeon with a scalpel that is going to save somebody's life by performing a surgery. Or it could be a murderer with a knife who's going to kill somebody. The intention, then, is what determines what will happen. And that's what's so important. So I'd like to end with um, a very short story from this book, Stories of the Spirit, Stories of the Heart, by Jack Cornfield and um, Christina Feldman. And it speaks to this idea of intention. A man who lived in the same town as Rabbi Zusia saw that he was very poor. So each day he put 20 pennies into a little bag in which Zusia kept his phylacteries so that he and his family might buy the necessities of life. From that time on, the man grew richer and richer. The more he had, the more he gave Zusia. And the more he gave Zusia, the more he had. But once he recalled that Zusia was the disciple of a great master, and it occurred to him that if what he gave the disciple was so lavishly rewarded, he might become even more prosperous if he made presents to the master himself. So he traveled to Mesrich and induced Rabbi Bayer to accept a substantial gift from him. From this time on, his means shrank until he had lost all the profits he had made during the more fortunate period. He took his trouble to Rabbi Zusia, told him the whole story, and asked him what his present predicament was due to. For had not the rabbi himself told him that his master was immeasurably greater than he? Zusia replied, Look, as long as you gave and did not bother to whom, whether to Zusia or another, God gave to you and did not bother to whom. But when you began to seek out especially noble and distinguished recipients, God did exactly the same. So, over the next week, um, pay attention to your intentions and see, check, is what you're doing supporting your deepest intention? Or are you up in that superficial level, the maintenance level, doing things that... Um, you know, it's not that they're harmful, but they may not be supporting that deepest intention that you have. And you might find that those things are not as important, that they get in the way of the deeper intentions. And maybe you want to drop down and do more of the things 
that support your very deepest intention. So we dedicate the merit of our practice here together tonight for the benefit of all beings, that all beings everywhere may be happy, may be joyous, and may be free.